If you guys want to open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 13, uh, that's where we're going to start uh, this morning. Thank you all for being here. Welcome to everyone. Welcome to our guests. Uh, we have several visitors today. That's really encouraging, especially when we're a small group. Uh, and we almost double in size when visitors come. That's nice. Um, if you couldn't tell from our reading in, in Matthew 23, we're going to be talking about hypocrisy this morning. It's not very uplifting reading to start worship, reading all the woes to the hypocrites, right? Um, but we're going to take a look at it from kind of a different perspective. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll circle back around uh, to Matthew 23 a little bit later. Uh, we won't read through all of that again. But we do have quite a bit more reading to do that I, I want to do in 1 Kings chapter 13. It's a really interesting story there for me. I mean, it's... It's one of the most fascinating stories uh, in the Old Testament. I haven't figured out everything that's going on in this story. Um, so I, I think there's maybe in the future th different things to unpack. Um, but it's right after the kingdom splits. Uh, so you have, you have two kings ruling now, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And Jeroboam is thinking, okay, well, I, I don't want all my, my people to go down to Jerusalem. Uh, for worship, so I'm going to create these golden calves and tell Israel, this is, this is your God, or these are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. He specifically says that. These golden calves that I just made, they brought you out of Egypt. Um, and you don't need to go to Jerusalem to worship anymore. It's too, in fact, he says, it's too much for you to go to Jerusalem, is, is what he tells them. It's, you don't, it's too far of a trip. You don't want to put that burden on yourself. In fact, I'll put, I'll put a calf in Bethel here in the south, and I'll put a calf in Dan in the north, so, you know, it's regionally accessible. Uh, he's doing him a great favor, right, is, is kind of what he's saying. And then there's this prophet who comes up from Judah, it's mentioned, and I think that's, that's interesting, um, to tell uh, Jeroboam some things. So let's, let's start reading in 1 Kings chapter 13, and then we'll make some comments along the way. Beginning in verse 1. Now behold, there came a man of God from Judah to Bethel, right? This is in the, south, the southern part. To Bethel by the word of the Lord, while Jeroboam was standing by the altar to burn incense. He cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name. And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you. And human bones shall be burned on you. Then he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be split apart, and the ashes which are on it shall be poured out. Now when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar of Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him. But his hand which he stretched out against him dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was split apart, and the ashes were poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. The king said to the man of God, Please entreat the Lord your God and pray for me, that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and it became as before. Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. The man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I would not go with you. Nor would I eat bread or drink water in this place. 
For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall eat no bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way which you came. So he went another way, and did not return by the way which he came to Bethel. All right, so far so good. Right? Everything God has told him, he's done. God's like, go up to Bethel. He goes up to Bethel. God says, go to the altar, speak against the altar. What I tell you, he does that. Jeroboam stretches out his arm. That Maybe that wasn't in the script, so I don't know. We don't know if that was in the script or not, right? But something happens. He can't pull it back to himself, right? His arm is stuck pointing, I guess, right? He's pointing, you know, sees him. And he can't draw it back to himself. So he, he asks for prayers, and the man of God prays for him, which I think is another interesting thing we can take on ourselves about how we should pray for our enemies. Right? That's not the point of this lesson. He's healed, and then... You know, Jeroboam's like, okay, this guy's legit. Like, I need him on my side. I'm putting words in his mouth now, right? That wasn't revealed to us. But he's a politician. I mean, if you go back and look at Jeroboam, right, he, he hangs out in Egypt. He stays away from Solomon. Solomon dies. He comes back. He plays his cards right. And it's been prophesied he's going to be king. And he's king, right? God made him king. So he's like, you know, come refresh yourself at my house. Prophet says, no, I've been told specifically, don't eat or drink water while you're in Israel, the northern kingdom or whatever. And, and don't even go home the same way. Go, go back a different way than you came. So he says, you went another way, right? Every, everything is cool. Now let's pick up again in verse 11. Now an old prophet was living in Bethel. And his sons came and told him all the deeds which the man of God had done that day in Bethel. The words which he had spoken to the king, these also they related to their father. Their father said to them, Which way did he go? Now his sons had seen the way which the man of God, who came from Judah, had gone. Then he said to his son, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode away on it. So he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. He said, I cannot return with you nor go with you, nor will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For a command came to me by the word of the Lord. You shall eat no bread nor drink water there. Do not return by going the way which you came. He said to him, I also am a prophet like you. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. I'm not going to read any more from this text just for the sake of time. Um, but it didn't work out well for that prophet. Um, a revelation did come to the old prophet later. And he said, because you didn't obey you're going to be torn by a lion and you're not going to be buried. And sure enough, he got on his donkey to go home anyway and he was attacked by a lion and killed on the way. Um, the lion didn't attack the donkey. That's mentioned specifically in the text. The lion wasn't hungry. Didn't eat the man. Just killed him and didn't attack the donkey. Right? I mean, this was a sign. Everybody in the region was like, okay, lions don't do this. <laughs> right? Lions are hungry. They eat. They kill and they eat. 
well, that, that wasn't what happened here. Anyway, that's that's kind of how it ended for for that guy. And then the older prophet is like, yeah, he was a man of God. I'm I'm kind of the reason. You know, let's bury him, and they bury him. And he's like, he tells his sons, hey, when I die, I wanna I wanna be buried with with this guy. You know, he respected him. I think he felt guilty, right? Now he, I mean, he he lied to him, and he knows he lied to him, right? But it was later that he realized he cost him his life, I think. So there's some remorse. And, and again, we're not going to talk about all of that. But to me, that's a really interesting story. It takes up an entire chapter in the Bible. God decided in his wisdom to preserve it with all those kind of weird details in it. you know. And I think there's lessons to be learned from all those. But I think there's some hypocrisy we see in this chapter. And it doesn't look the way it, it looks in Matthew 23. In Matthew 23, we look back and, you know, we kind of puff our chest out and we're like, those Pharisees, man. Right? Kind of like what the Pharisees were doing in verse 30 of that chapter. Though our fathers, you know, they, they just didn't know what they were doing when they killed those prophets. We wouldn't have killed the prophets. Right? And we sit here, we wouldn't have killed Jesus. Right? But when we look at this, we say, okay, well, you know, this guy, you know, the prophet from Judah, when he was in front of the king, was very resolute. If you gave me half your house, I wouldn't come with you. And this old prophet comes to him and tells him a lie. He doesn't even offer him half his house. What, what happened to his resolution? I'm going to suggest to you, well, I won't suggest, I'll tell you the same thing happens to me. I'll suggest to you that it happens, I think, to more people than just me, which is when we're in the face of someone we disagree with, we're very easily, we, we, it's very easy for us to be resolute. I disagree with you, and you can't convince me of anything. And it's not righteousness. We'll get to that later. Right? But then when we're in the face of our friend, or someone we know, or family. And they want us to do the exact same thing. Well, you know, the wheels start turning. He doesn't have any, any malicious intent for me. This prophet is a prophet. He's, he's not an evil man. The king, he's evil. And, and he wanted me to disobey God and stay here and eat and drink. And I, I saw through it because God told me not to stay and eat and drink. The king didn't even lie to him. The old prophet lied to him. I think this is a different shade of hypocrisy than we're normally thinking of. And it's a hypocrisy of, it's very closely related to self-righteousness. right? It's a hypocrisy of, I'm going to stand firm when I'm in front of people I don't like. Because it makes me feel good that I'm more righteous than they are. You king, you're just a bad king. And I'm a man of God from Judah. Where Jerusalem is. Where the temple is. And I'm going to tell you what for. And he does. And he says exactly what God tells him to. Right? And if the story stopped there, we would have no insight into kind of the inner struggle that he has until we see what happens when he meets a prophet. A fellow prophet. I'm a prophet too, and an angel spoke to me. But did the angel speak to him? That's really what mattered. 
What had God spoken to him is what mattered. And so his resolution about what God had spoken to him, his resolution sort of cracked, kind of melted away, and he's like, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe, a, maybe an angel has spoken to you, so I'm going to go with you. I'm going to disobey exactly what I was told to do because maybe an angel spoke to you. That's hypocrisy. I'm resolute now, and I'm justifying myself now. And we're not told what he's thinking, right? I'm putting, I'm, put, I'm putting all of this in supposition, but we know what happened. What happened was, he says, absolutely not. You can't pay me enough. Two, no, I'm not going back with you. Oh, an angel talked to you. Okay. I mean, if he'd gone with the king, maybe he could have got half his house. <laughs> and then died. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I think it was the nature of he had someone in front of him he could identify with. He had something in common with. Somebody he didn't have something against. He wasn't prejudiced toward another prophet. Hey, God spoke to me. Maybe God spoke to you. Right? And, I, and the reason I bring this up is because that I have done this. Guaranteed, 100%, I have done this. Right? Am I going to... You know, I, I'll, give, I'll give some examples. One that I'm guilty of and one that I'm not. Um, gathering on on Sunday. Oh man, I've done this a million times. <clears throat> Somebody that I don't like or is sinful or whatever, right? Hey, I'm doing this thing on Sunday. You know, you can come. No, I can't go on Sunday. I'm gonna be in church where you should be, you sinner. <laughs> and I'm gonna be there all day, probably. Praying for your soul. <laughs> and then, a week later, you know, a high school friend, not a Christian, somehow he's a good person, I'm buddies with. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to be in Atlanta for one day. I'm going to be in Atlanta on Sunday. And I'm going to be at Stone Mountain. The weather's going to be great. Um... The Highland Games are there. That's happening next weekend. I've been to the Highland Games. They're fantastic. They're not only on Sunday, by the way. But I'm going to be there for Sunday. Well, you know, I'm at church 51 Sundays out of 52. Is that such a bad thing? I mean, that's better than him. Maybe I'll be an influence for him. Leaving church, somehow I'll be a good influence for him. I mean, if you haven't done these things, good on you. But I've done it. I can't tell you how many times I've done that, something like that. Right? And it's nothing but hypocrisy. I want to be seen as one thing in front of this person that I don't approve of. There's nothing to do with me and God. It's all about me and this person or maybe their friends or whoever. Right? And then over here, I just want to do what I want to do. I don't care what my friend's perception of me is. I just want to go spend time with them at the Highland Games. And so that, that resolution is gone. 
It didn't. I mean, it didn't really exist. It looked like resolution. It wasn't resolution, right? It was hypocrisy, right? I mean, you know, an example. Today's a great example. I don't know how all these examples fell into place so perfect. There's a parade going on today where people are celebrating their sin, right? It's a celebration of sin. And if somebody said, hey, come march in the parade, oh, man, I just, just ask me. Just ask me to come march in your parade. Because, boy, I'll give you, right? How can I march in your parade? I'm going to be in church. Right? It'd feel good to get to say that. Right? And then the Highland Games thing happens, right? And I'm like, well, okay. Another one that I have, I'm not going to say like personal experience with, but I have been around this has happened is divorce and remarriage. Someone who's just staunch. You know, you have been divorced. Your divorce was not for sexual immorality. You have no right to remarry. And that's accurate. Right? They're staunch in that. uh, that. I mean, if I tell people I'm going to church on Sunday, that's accurate. This this prophet said, hey, you know what? I can't stay here. That's accurate. Right? That's, That's all good and fine. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is what happens after. Okay? Well, now, my daughter's getting beat by her husband. changes well that's just divorce you know you got to leave him that you, you got to divorce him that's that's not divorce and remarriage right one year later three years later a really good man wants to marry her not a Christian maybe he's a Christian doesn't agree with what the Bible teaches on divorce and remarriage but he's in light of the world and in light of most men, he's a good man. And she's got three kids. Your grandkids. How do you feel about divorce and remarriage now? I know people who have flipped on it in that scenario. In that scenario. Well, not at the moment, right? Their daughter or their son kind of goes off and gets remarried. But then you see how happy they are. How can that kind of happiness be wrong? It can't be wrong. I must have been wrong. Right? That's hypocrisy. And that's a long-term swap around hypocrisy. But really what happened was this stand over here isn't the stand that you're portraying. It's a stand for self-righteousness and for appearance. It's a stand to make you feel better because you see somebody in your vicinity that is maybe succumbing to something you think you've mastered. Right? 
And the hypocrisy shows itself when you're forced to choose, real time, choose what's right instead of what you want. I mean, there are probably all kinds of examples of ways you, that this could happen. And I think the point of these two examples that I've given is it runs this full spectrum of like, yeah, I'm going to miss church on Sunday to go to the Highland Games, too. Intensely emotional family circumstances. Right? It'll run the whole gamut. And I'm not saying one is more right or less right. or, or, or I'm, I'm just saying emotionally, right? It, the tension runs the whole gamut, right? I'm not emotionally tied to the Highland Games, right? But the hypocrisy is, is present the whole way, the whole way through, right? Let's, let's, let's see what the New Testament has to say about something like this. Is this something only new Christians have to worry about? Is this something only like weak Christians Severely weak Christians have to worry about. We'll turn to Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians, Paul is recounting a lot of his history and things that kind of happened to him, happened in his life. And in Galatians 2, there's this um, interesting story of when he and Peter um, are face-to-face over something. Galatians 2, beginning in verse 11... Paul's writing here. He says, But when Cephas, right, that's Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is not just something for new Christians. This is not something for, when I say weak Christians, I mean somebody who's like actively struggling with a sin in their life that they're trying to get over, right? That, that's, that, that makes you weak, right? This is Peter. With the inspiration of the Holy Spirit guiding his writings and his teachings. With people being healed because of his, you know, his, his closeness and vicinity to them. who's with the Gentiles like, hey, you know, we can eat together. Let's eat together. We're in Antioch. I'm a Jew. You're a Gentile. There is no Jew or Gentile in Christ. Let's eat together. And then James comes. I'm sorry, men from James. The party of the circumcision comes from Jerusalem to Antioch. Slide this way. Two steps. Keep a little distance. No, I can't eat with you today. 
No, I can't eat with you tomorrow either. Right. What, I don't know what he told him. I don't know what his reason was. Or if he just stopped. Right? It just says he withdrew. Paul says this is why he withdrew. He was being a hypocrite. He wanted to look like Jesus in front of the Gentiles until some of the Jewish brethren showed up. And then he didn't want to look like Jesus anymore. He wanted to look like a Jew. It was all about appearance. It was appearance. Is it true he could eat with the Gentiles? Yes. But his act in doing that had nothing to do with, I'm going to stand up for truth. And we know that by what happened after. You know, Josh read the woes from Matthew 23. Um, So if you think about this event in Kings, and the ways it can happen to us, that type of of scenario, does it help you understand why Jesus is being so blunt? I mean, if if you're actively engaged in that, that kind of life, right? I think the example of the prophet from Judah tells us it ends in death. Right? That was physical death. I mean, the Old Testament, the Old Laws are already very physical manifestations of spiritual truths. Right? Jesus is trying, he, he's, he's like, snap out of it. Shake the cobwebs out of your brain. Because if you're living like this, where you want to be seen by people as one thing holy, you're going to die. Spiritually. If you're not already, right? I think his point in being so blunt, right, in front of his disciples, is so that they will see his intent to keep them away from this. This type of hypocrisy. It's hard to see it in ourselves. I mean, I, I wanted to say it's impossible to see it in ourselves. I, I, I don't really know if I can say that. It's very hard to see hypocrisy in ourselves, especially this kind of hypocrisy, where we're standing for truth until we actually have to stand for it. And it's like, uh, maybe not. Turn, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We only have a couple more passages and then, and then we'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is another example. Um, Paul here isn't necessarily referring to or trying to refute or save people from hypocrisy. But I think there's, there's a pattern here that we can see and learn from. 1 Corinthians 10, I'll begin reading in verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, With most of them God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. 
Now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Drop down to verse 11. Again he says, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. I think the reason I, I think this passage applied in this, in this lesson is really verse 12. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. But I didn't want to read it out of context. <clears throat> the context he's giving is an entire mass of people who have been baptized into Moses. Right? Through the sea and under the cloud. He says that's a baptism. He says it's baptized into Moses, right? They were saved, right? From evil Egypt. And now they're God's people in the wilderness. And what does he do to them? Most of them he was not pleased with and he laid them low. He killed them. I mean, if you think about it, I don't know how many people, 600,000 fighting men, so, you know, let's just say two, 2 million people. The chances of all of them dying off in just 40 years is like zero. I mean, God killed them. He spent 40 years doing it. Right? But it was 20 and older. So a 21-year-old would have had to die by the time they were 61. It's not a long life. Moses lived 110, 120, whatever. Joshua. They weren't dying at 60 years old. God killed these people in the wilderness. Paul says it. He laid them low. So, we need to take heed, right? Because when I'm, stand, when I'm over here in this mode of standing up for truth and standing up for righteousness and getting in your face and saying, hey, you know what? I'm better than you because I'm in church on Sunday or I'm better than you because I'm, you know, I don't do this divorce, remarriage. What, whatever the stance is that we think we're standing for truth because we're, we're in somebody's face that we look down on, we're in the same position as those people that God cut down in the wilderness. The same position. We're not pleasing Him. Now, on the other hand, if we're begging and pleading with somebody who's in sin to come out of their sin, and we're not parading ourselves around and our decisions and the things that we've done in our lives of saying, you need to be more like me, that's a different story. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about are things like Peter you know, pulling away from the Gentiles. This prophet disobeying a direct command he had by direct revelation from God to go spend time with his buddy. Or whatever, however that manifests in your life. We're not talking about teaching people who are in sin. Do that. 
don't do it as a hypocrite. Right? So that when it comes home to rest, you can actually stand up. Just like it says here, God will provide a way of escape so you can endure that temptation. It's not too much. Okay, the last passage is in James chapter 1. I think these, these two, 1 Corinthians 10 and James 1, help us prepare ourselves now when we're not facing the trial or we're not facing the temptation to say, okay, do I believe what I stand for, really? And then when it comes home, can I really withstand it, right? Prepare mentally for those things. What do I say I believe? What scriptures do I use to demonstrate that, to, to hold that up, right? And now, when it happens in my family, with my spouse, am I still going to teach the same thing? When the same thing happens with my parents or my children, am I going to teach the same thing? 1 Corinthians 10 just told us, right? In that temptation, God will open a door for you to escape the temptation. Not so that it goes away, but so that you can endure it. Right? Okay, James chapter 1, verses 22 through 27. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Okay, so I'm going to suggest to you, based on this text, the best medicine against hypocrisy, the best, if you already have it, right? Or the best vaccine, if, you, if you're trying to keep yourself from becoming th- this kind of hypocrite, is put your hand to the plow and do some work in the kingdom. That's what he says. Visit orphans and widows in their distress. I think that's, that's kind of like, if you go back to the Old Testament, that's, that's God's example of saying, hey, serve people who can't serve themselves. Fight the battles for the people who have no strength to fight their own battles. That's kind of what that image is, right? When, when God is complaining about people who are unjust, he's ta- he, he always talks about people who don't uphold orphans and widows, right? So what he's saying is, go find somebody who's been unjustly treated. Serve those people. You won't have time to be a hypocrite. I mean, that's one thing that's true. Like, you won't have time to be a hypocrite, right? Because there's so many people who need service. But when the time comes, your heart will be so correctly plowed and tilled and ready, right, that you'll just see the hypocrisy in front of you and you're like, oh, that's disgusting. 
I would never do that. And this person who invites me to go walk in this parade, no, I don't want to attack them. I want to invite them to come next Sunday when they're not walking in a parade. Or I want to invite them on a Saturday to have lunch, talk about spiritual things. Because you're in this mode of service. The people you run into, the people you see, become not obstacles. They don't become teachings to tear down. They become people to serve. And that doesn't mean everybody that you serve is going to become a Christian. If you're serving everybody, most of the people you serve are not going to become Christians. Get used to it. Deal with it. Get over it. Serve. Do good unto all men, especially the brotherhood. Right? We always focus on especially the brotherhood so that we don't have to go do good to all men. <laughs> he said especially the brotherhood. I don't have to serve anybody else. What did he say? Do good to all men. If, if you're engaged in that kind of stuff, it just roots out the hypocrisy and the self-righteousness. And what happens is your life just becomes this life of service or even a desire to service. Like You're like, I need to serve more people instead of I need to look good in front of more people. Right? Because what matters is that you're serving God and what he thinks about you. I hope this has been helpful. Um, I have read this passage in 1 Kings many times trying to figure out what in the world is going on there. And then it was like a smack between the eyes when I saw the hypocrisy that I have lived out in that prophet. Um, I tried to make it broader than just that so that it might apply to more people. Um, But it was very helpful for me. Obviously, if if it's something you need to talk about, I mean, feel free to talk with me about it. It's not something I've mastered. It's just something I've recognized. Um, But if you have any uh, other spiritual needs too, this is the group of people to express that too. Um, None of us here are perfect, and none of us here are Jesus. Um, But all of us here want you to have a relationship with Jesus. That's the most important thing. Um, So if you have a spiritual ailment, concern, anything to talk about, please let us know. We're going to stand and sing a song of invitation for you to think about that.